Tonight's Bible reading comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse 7, until chapter 12, verse 14. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. How many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigour are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the streets are closed And the sound of grinding fades. And people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along. And desire is no longer stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. You pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study varies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is God's word. My name is Phil. If we've not met, I'm one of the ministers here. I hope to meet you afterwards if you're here for the first time. We're finishing Ecclesiastes tonight and if you've got um, your sheets you'll see that there's an outline on the back to help you take notes. Let's pray and then let's see what God has to say to us from this passage. Our Father God we thank you for Pentecost. We thank you that because your spirit was poured out then he is with us today. We thank you that we are not reading old words but that he speaks these words, living words to us today. And so we pray, Father, that 
your spirit would enable us to understand these words, to believe them, that he would make them fruitful in our lives. For your glory's sake. Amen. There is such a thing as too late. Uh, A week or two ago, I was uh, walking the dog early morning Hyde Park, and it was a lovely morning, and um, I noticed there are lots of swans in the lake. Swans are royal birds. To kill a swan is treason, apparently. We're a long way from the lake, because I have a dog. A noise towards the lake, and the dog looks over. Milo. He looks at me, his owner, his master. He looks back at the lake. (laughs) Not a good moment. You think, Prince Philip, that man has a shotgun. Those are his swans. This could end very, very badly. The worst thing about the whole thing was he's four, my dog. In dog years, that means he's an adult. Training is done. This is as good as it gets. My destiny, I will appear in a Fenton video but at some point in the next few years. It's just going to happen. There's no, I have no, and there's nothing I can do. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. He is never going to get more obedient than he is now, which is something of a disaster. But you see, it's not just dogs, actually. It applies to you and me as well, because there are warnings in life that if you haven't learned to heed now, you will never learn to heed them. There are habits that if you have not formed now, you won't form them ever. There are lessons that if you do not learn them now, you're never going to learn them. And this passage in Ecclesiastes warns us, do not put off radical, wholehearted, sold-out living for Jesus until later. Don't put off the whole taking God seriously, looking into Jesus thing until later in life. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, he says. The best, the wisest way to live is to live for God now, not then. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll see how he gets there in just a moment. We've ended at the end of, uh, arrived at the end of Ecclesiastes, which has been sitting at the feet of the teacher who is Solomon, David's son Solomon. And he has been there and he has done it in the search for meaning in life. You know, he has got to the top of all the mountains that we're still trying to climb. Uh, you think that you will find that, that meaning that means you'll be left uh, not feeling unfulfilled, that you'll think, actually, I got it right. I lived a life worth living. If you, if you get enough riches, in his day, no one bothered to count silver in Jerusalem because there was so much gold. Why would you bother counting silver? You think it, it lies in, if, if I just get the right relationship, fulfilling sex and a brilliant relationship. Well, he had 700 wives and 300 sex slaves. You think, uh, if, I, if I achieve great things, he built the greatest buildings in the known world. His fame stretched to the ends of the universe. And yet, as he looked back at all of it and wondered, is any of it, is any of it big enough to say, if I build my life on that, I'll feel like it has been a life well lived? And he looks around and he says, everything under the sun is meaningless. This word that uh, is translated meaningless in our Bibles, hebel, it means a whole range of things, frustrating, confusing, fleeting, unfulfilling. And the angst that's run through Ecclesiastes is this, that you and I uh, are born with a longing for meaning and a desire to live forever. It's somehow hardwired into us. And yet we live in a world of frustration and we die after 80 years. And nothing on earth 
can answer that. Nothing. That desire for meaning and purpose and eternity. There is an answer. There is an answer, but it's not one you can find, uh, as he calls it, looking at life under the sun, life on earth. The answer only comes when God rips open the fabric of creation and steps in from outside of what we can observe and touch and analyze. The answer comes when God comes as a man and dies on a cross and rises again. His death paying for our sins so that we can have the relationship with him that alone can give us meaning. And his resurrection life giving us the eternal life that our mortal souls crave more than anything else. God answers our deepest desire for longing. He answers the the angst of Ecclesiastes and the resurrection of Jesus. But that doesn't mean Ecclesiastes, well, okay, so it's a pointless book now. We're, you know, Jesus has risen. Forget Ecclesiastes. One less book of the Bible I have to worry about. No, because we still live like Solomon under the sun. And his observations about life are as true for us as they were for him. There's enormous wisdom for you and I as we go about our daily lives in what he tells us in this book. You see, we still have to live with the tension of knowing there is a God of ultimate meaning and beauty and life. And yet we go out on Monday morning into a world which is marked by frustration and disappointment at times and confusion and ultimately death. And there are still a couple of lessons for him to teach us in this final chapter. And you, if you've been with us uh, throughout the series, you'll know that we've been translating this word hebel, which is uh, translated meaningless in our Bibles. It, it covers a, a range of things. Uh, and the, really in this passage, what it, what it means is ephemeral. Ephemeral, which is an odd word, but it just means passing or fleeting. Like your breath on a cold morning, the mist that just evaporates. That's what he says life is. It's ephemeral. Here one minute and gone the next. Okay, let's look through. How does he get there? Uh, Verses 7 to 10, enjoy your youth while you have it. Uh, Chapters 11 and verse 7. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. How true do we Londoners know that to be? However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is ephemeral, fleeting. He starts with another reminder, basically, make the most of your life. There will be some dark times, so enjoy the good times. And in particular, he's going to say in the next verses, enjoy your reckless, carefree, youthful days. And he would say that to this congregation particularly, I guess. Uh, verse 9, look with me. You, are, you who are young, be happy while you are young. and Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see... But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off troubles from your body, for youth and vigor are ephemeral. It is so almost the spirit of our age. Uh, Live life, be happy, follow your heart. Everybody says that. The difference is that Solomon says, yeah, but do those things in the light of God's judgment, in the light of God's wisdom, God's advice. See, our our society, I think, acts as if my heart is the highest tribunal. Ultimately, my greatest duty is to be true to myself. That's the, the great mantra of our culture. People say, I followed my heart, is another way of saying I did the right thing. But my heart is not the ultimate judge, actually. God is. And I don't always know best. God alone has perfect wisdom. 
And so he says, live life to the full in accordance with the wise, the good, the healthy rules that God has kindly given us. Verse 10 uh, reminds us that the key truth to know about youth is that it does not last forever. Verse 10, youth and vigor are fleeting, ephemeral, meaningless. And this introduces uh, really the theme of the next seven verses. Uh, many of, well, I'd say many of us here are in the prime of life, but many of you perhaps would be a truer phrase, wouldn't it, uh, as the grey hairs tell me. Well, enjoy it, because it won't last forever. Sooner or later, you will find you, you have to make a noise when you sit down or stand up. You know, ooh, ooh. I warn you, if you've hit that, that's the tipping point. That's it. It is all downhill from there. It is all downhill from there. There's a lot of elbowing going. Yeah, remember that. At the end of the service, when you stand up for the final song, silence. Shows your youth. Show your youth. You see, 12 years ago, I played rugby. And then my neck um, and my shoulder and my back, as it turned out, I couldn't handle it. So I had to switch to football for about a season and then table tennis. Um, and uh, I'm very pleased to say I'm back to rugby now. But I watch it rather than play it. It goes like that with youth. And when you're young, you think you're immortal. The one thing you don't think is this is just a phase. That this won't last. That soon it will be gone. See, there are, there are a finite number of days left in which you can play sport without stretching or warming up and still walk the next day. There are a finite number of days when you can go out all night and function at work the next day. There are a finite number of days when you can eat trash and still be in reasonable shape. It won't last. So make the most of it. That's the first thing the, the teacher says. Make the most of it while you've got uh, the body God has given you in the world God has made in the way God says is best, enjoy it, because it won't last. But that's not all that he has to say to you youthful people. Secondly, he says, remember God before you lose your memory. Uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. In the light of how quickly your youthful vigor will turn to senile dementia, he says, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember him. Turn to him. Live for him. To remember in the Bible is much more than to intellectually, oh yes, uh, I must get the bacon when I go to the shops. To remember means to live in the light of. To remember God means to treat him as God. Put him first. Make him everything from now and forever. Remember him before you lose the ability to remember anything at all. He carries on, for the years uh, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the, the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. You see, youth is like springtime and he says here, winter will come and sooner than you think. And he describes the winter of old age in these wonderfully, um, wonderfully visual verses that follow. Uh, verse 3. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim. The strong men stoop, the legs go from running to walking to that sort of bow-legged shuffle. The grinders cease, the teeth fall out one by one. Especially with, true for us Londoners, all those caramel lattes and muffins, we'll be, all be in dentures in 20 years' time. Verse 4. 
when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. Eventually the hearing goes. My wife would find it extraordinary to hear I could be any more deaf than I am now, but it will happen. At the end of his life, Beethoven, who had the most spectacular ear for music, broke pianos, smashing the keys just to try and hear something. He'd gone so deaf. And all of us will, will eventually lose that ability to hear, to see. Verse 5. When the people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond blossom, tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred, then people go to their eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. It's quite sobering when you uh, walk past the Chelsea pensioners on the King's Road. You know the the old guys in the blue or the red coats? Uh, The the polished chest full of shiny medals tells you that when they were young, these were serious, serious warriors. They fought, they'd faced down uh, deadly enemies, they walked through hails of bullets and they'd earned those medals. And now, any little hoodie could mug them. They're just weak and old and feeble. Even the desire is gone, verse 5. The writer of Ecclesiastes had such strong desires, as we said, that he had to have 300 sex slaves when his 700 wives weren't enough. And yet, it all goes. It all goes. Plato asked the Greek uh, philosopher Sophocles, what is it like uh, when you're an old man and, and you don't have sexual desire anymore? He said, it's like being unchained from a lunatic. I mean, he said it in Greek, obviously. but And one day, all of us will know that. All of us will know that. One day, you'll be able to go to Jamaica, and you'll see Usain Bolt struggling to cover 100 meters in nine and a half minutes. Because he'll have got old and slow, like all of us. And of course, the, the slow process of decay is a protracted sign that what is coming is death. Verse 6, then people go to their eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. We stop walking the streets and those who mourn us walk the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And as he looks down at his sagging skin and his failing memory struggles to work out where he left his dentures, the teacher can't help but sigh and just think how utterly pointless all of it was. Ephemeral, ephemeral, fleeting, fading, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless and gone. It's been a bad year for celebrity deaths. One of the interesting quotations that came was uh, after the, the death of Prince this, earlier this month. Uh, there was an interview with him done a year or two back where he was asked about his incredibly youthful appearance. And he said these words, I don't believe in time. I don't count. If you don't count, you don't age. It's kind of ironic now. You see, death is coming to all of us. And we can't put off the aging process forever. But the book doesn't end there, because Ecclesiastes wasn't written by a chain-smoking French existentialist. It's written by Solomon. And he, and he turns us at the end 
to the meaning that has eluded him or eluded us as we look at life under the sun. Live now, he says, in the light of future judgment. Uh, Verses 9 to 12. Finally, the sun starts to rise in these verses. Verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the soul. And all the students say, Amen. He starts with a warning. Do you notice that there are lots of people giving advice? And he has searched out good advice. Be warned, my son, he says in verse 12, of anything in addition to them. In other words, there's a whole lot of bad advice out there. Uh, This week, Jonathan Kania uh, died. He was Fleet Street's favorite horoscope writer. And writing that bill earned him £2 million a year, pretty much every year for the last goodness knows, 20, 30 years. It's incredible the appetite people have for nonsense. And so he says, be careful. Not everybody writing advice is wise. God is our maker. His advice is the best advice there is. He knows me better than I know myself. His advice, uh, verse 11, is like a goad. That's a stick used for, uh, for jabbing wayward cattle to get them back on the road. In other words, he's saying, look, if we're going to live wise lives, all of us need a sharp jab from a pointy stick every now and then. Because we're not naturally wise all the time. I do stupid stuff and so do you. It, we all do. And so we need to be corrected We don't naturally listen to what is sensible. But it's now in the last two verses that the mist really starts to clear and the sun rises as he shows us where true meaning actually resides. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. It's a hint, just a hint, of the answer to Ecclesiastes. Uh, Why bother serving God, verse 13, fear God and keep his commandments, if all you're going to do is rot at the end of your 80 years? Because, verse 14, death is not the end. And a thousand years later, when the Son of God rose, the mist really cleared. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the answer to, to the dilemma of Ecclesiastes. And in the terms of this bit, it is good news, and it's bad news, and it's good news, just to be clear. Uh, firstly, it is good news. It is good news because it means life is not just a mist that whoosh, disappears without a trace and leaves nothing permanent behind. Worst teachers you ever had? I had some strong candidates for this. There was the Latin teacher who prepared us for entirely the wrong exam. Thanks for that. Or there was the French teacher who pointed loaded pistols at us in class. I kid you not. (laughs) Then were the days. Uh, Then were the days. Uh, But you know what? Neither of those were the worst teachers. The worst teachers, he was actually a very good French teacher. I think it was the fear, maybe. Um, The worst teachers were the ones who never bothered to mark your work or you knew when you got it back. They'd never bothered to read it. They just put some red ticks, a couple of crosses, and 
you just thought, why bother? Nothing matters. If you don't actually judge it properly, if you don't assess it properly, it's utterly meaningless. And if there is no judgment, nothing matters. Nothing matters. But your life does matter. The things that you and I do matter. The things that have been done to you, they matter. They matter, and I'll tell you why they matter. God sees, God cares, and God will judge. It's the wonderful news of Ecclesiastes, that God will bring every deed into judgment. Life is not just missed and fleeting. Everything is seen, everything is known, and everything will be judged. But as well as good news, that is slightly bad news when you think about it. Because that judgment will reveal the extent to which you and I have lived our lives ignoring God. And the extent to which you and I have lived as if I'm at the centre of the story. And actually everything really ought to revolve around me. And we've been incredibly quick to ignore the needs of others. It'll be a sobering, concerning day when my life is revealed in the light of God's perfection. It's good news, it's bad news, but also it is good news because the thing that proves there'll be a judgment is that God raised the judge, Jesus Christ, back to life. That first Easter Sunday, as a historical event, Jesus rose bodily from the grave. You can look into the evidence. And his death, the death that he rose from, was dying on a cross to pay for our sins, for our failure to to treat God as God and our failure to love other people as we should. And so his resurrection, as well as establishing that he is the judge, also establishes that he is the saviour. And so if we'll only put our trust in him, we are guaranteed salvation from the judgment that both gives meaning to life and gives fear to death. Okay, so what do we do in the light of all of that? We've learned everything that the writer has to say in Ecclesiastes. Life under the sun is frustrating, ephemeral, confusing, ultimately feels meaningless. But God has interrupted history. There is a a judgment, there is a resurrection, there is a life beyond the grave. So what? As we close, I want to go back to chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. You see, it seems to me that the the danger for many of us here is not that we're anti-God, just that we're busy with life. Uh, Whether it's uh, non-Christians like my friends in London when I um, started work here, yeah, probably convinced that, you know, at some point I really ought to work out what I think about God and, and Jesus and all that stuff. But uh, just not right now. I can't commit to stuff. Life is just really busy. I've, I've, I need to concentrate on my career if I'm going to get ahead. And, 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 and getting married and, and, and planning a wedding, it takes at least three years. And, and, and I'm trying to get on the housing ladder and, and we're moving house. And it's not that I'm anti-God. I'm just busy, all right? Or the Christians who you know, come along to church, we get on a rota. But God's not the priority. He's not the consuming passion of life. Uh, if things, you know, I'm really keen to be there if it works. But, you know, I've got to prioritize career at the moment. And, and life is really busy. I've got mates from university and family to see. And, and it just doesn't always fit in. I'll get serious about this stuff later. 
at the risk of being rude, you won't. You won't. You see, life is about habits. And the habits I form now determine what I will do later, tomorrow. And you're forming patterns of life. You're creating character now. If you spend your 20s and 30s with God on the back burner and career as the number one thing or pursuit of relationships as the number one thing, then you'll spend your 40s and 50s with career as the number one thing or pursuit of relationships as the number one thing. The problem, you see, is that as we get older, our hearts get harder and our heads get softer. It's just a fact. I mean, I've, had the, I've had the privilege of teaching about Jesus from the Bible in a, in a big range of places. Uh, 200 Muslim students at a London university a couple of years ago, a dinner party of Cambridge graduates, a group of street kids in Argentina, a rugby tournament, primary school assembly, a prison. But the hardest, most unresponsive groups I've ever spoken to old people's homes every time and it's not that I you know always end up speaking at the same time as Corrie's on TV you know I, I check these things it's you'd have thought in one sense that people should never be as interested in a message of uh, resurrection and life and forgiveness and eternity as people who statistically are closer to that being an imminent reality than young people here You'd have thought no group would be as interested to, to learn about, is there, a, is there an answer to, to the grave? Is the life beyond the grave? But, oh, I don't really have much for that time for that, dear. Generally the response, oh, not really sure about that, really. Not much time for that, dear. Alas, for others, it's not just uh, that the heart slowly hardens against God. For others, it's that the heads get soft. Oh, I'll look into that later. I'll look into that later. My dad um, is quite old now and he's um, in and out of hospital. And I went to see him last week in hospital after he had a fall. And on his ward, there were six beds. And he was, uh, I was uh, sat with him. The other beds, most of them were chewing their sheets and arguing with people who weren't there. Just happens. Old age is not a pretty thing. And, oh, it'll be fine, I'll sort things out later. But we don't always have the chance. See, one of the reasons we planted this church in here in central London 15 years ago was so that we could reach people and explain the good news about Jesus Christ to young people before the cement of life sets, before hearts get hardened against God and before minds get softened. And I would just urge you, don't put off looking into Jesus till later. Don't put off living wholeheartedly for Jesus till later. You are less likely, statistically, to think about these things with every passing year. Now, I guess for others of us, it's not so much the busyness of life. It's more, if we're honest, we just think, I owe myself a little bit of fun before I kind of settle down and follow God. You know, I'd never quite put it that way, but um, it'll feel like I've missed out. If I kind of go for it and, uh, and follow God and obey all of those rules in my 20s and 30s. I'd like to, you know, have a little bit of a wild phase before I settle down. Happy to come along to church regularly. Happy even to lead groups. But it's on my terms and I really don't want to let it stop me living the way I want to live. But the writer to the Ecclesiastes says, learn the lessons. 
the end of the day, all that thrill-seeking in holidays and luxuries and the searching for ultimate meaning in relationships and sex and work, it, it won't satisfy. They're all good things, but we have the thing that drives us forward in life is that urge for meaning is a, is a God-shaped hole. It's an infinite hole in our souls. And you can't fill an infinite hole with finite stuff. You can shovel in as much as you like, but it'll never fill it up. The best life, the wisest life, the richest life, the fullest life, the happiest life is a life sold out and lived for Jesus Christ. Uh, we've got um, got a little garden. Uh, it's, well, I say a garden. It's slightly overgrown and unkempt. There could be undiscovered tribes living in the long grass. It is that unkempt. But I'm, uh, you can tell, actually, that youth is something that I look back on now rather than live in the middle of because I'm quite excited about the idea of getting into gardening. Seriously. Okay. Uh, ah, how to just, everybody's looking, thinking, wow, does that happen to everybody? Or, uh, um, and um, here we go. We're going to have a bit of a horticultural quiz as we finish. Uh, we had the, the sports quiz on Wednesday. Not everybody's sporting. So hopefully those of you who didn't nail the, the sports quiz, like my team did, uh, will, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, winning is great. Uh, we'll, um, we'll be able to do better in the horticultural quiz. I'd quite like an apple tree in the garden, um, one of those. What do I need to sow in the ground if I want an apple tree? Apple seeds, fantastic. I'd quite like a, a honeysuckle to mask the smell of when I've uh, nuked yet another barbecue. What do I need to sow in the ground if I want a honeysuckle? Honeysuckle seeds, you're very good at this. And if, uh, and if I want to annoy the neighbours, I'll plant a Leylandi seed and grow one of those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do I have to sow in the ground of my life? What habits do you need to sow if you want to be marked by joy, sacrificial generosity, peace, purpose, fulfillment, and a rich, deep relationship with God in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s? What, what do you have to sow now if you want to reap the fruit of that? If you want to live a life that matters and build a legacy that, that lasts for all eternity. If you want to approach Judgment Day and hear the Lord Jesus Christ say, Well done, my good and faithful servants. What do you have to sow? What habits of life should you be starting? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't put off living for Jesus. Giving for Jesus serving for Jesus, speaking for Jesus until you're older. God's way is the best way to live now. The God who invented sex and mountains and snow and surf and chocolate and wine and laughter is the God who knows how to live the fullest life right now. The one whose resurrection brings eternal life and forgiveness is the one whose wisdom tells you the best way to live today live all out for him today sow that habit and you will reap the benefits for all eternity we're going to have um, a minute or two's um, quiet before the band come up I'm going to pray and then we'll just have a minute or two's quiet just so we can uh, look at again over God's word and hear what his spirit is saying to us and do some business with God in the quiet of our own hearts. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that 
this life is not all that there is. Thank you that we are not just mist and dust, but that we are eternal creatures. And one day we will see you for your good judgment. Father, we do pray that in the meantime, you would help us to believe that you, our good and loving creator, know the very best way to live. And we pray that we would have the courage to stand out and to live for you no matter what others do. Help us to do this and give us the confidence that your ways are the best ways and will bear fruit for all eternity. Amen.